Hello and welcome to episode 91 of the Conversations with Ross podcast. I'm Ross Carey. Thanks for listening. Thrilled to be joined right now by Anson Mount. Anson is an actor who is currently starring in the AMC series Hell on Wheels. You can catch the two-hour season three premiere of Hell on Wheels Saturday, August 10th at 9 p.m. Anson, thanks so much for taking the time to join the podcast today. My pleasure. Well, Anson, let's start at the beginning. Tell me what initially attracted you to acting in the first place. Well, uh, you know, as a painter when I was in high school and... Um, then I, I really just started acting to spend more time with my friends after school because they were all getting into drama. And um, I, I, there were a couple of teachers uh, who I really gravitated towards who, who encouraged me to to keep working at it and keep getting better. And um, I guess the difference between painting and acting is that with painting, I enjoyed it, but I, it wasn't really a passion. And acting... Um, it frustrated me as much as I enjoyed it, and, and I kept wanting to to get better at it and learn more and read more. Um, and there was a big there was a big a big tie-in with the literature as well that that I really enjoyed. Do you come from a theatrical or an acting family? What did your parents do for a living when you were growing up? Not really. No, my father was a sports writer, and my mother was a former professional golfer. So it wasn't really in the the family blood at all. But they encouraged me to do. The, whatever my my passion drove me towards, and uh, I was very lucky to have parents like that because a lot of people don't. Um, but yeah, I mean, I really haven't decided. I still haven't decided it's what I want to do. <laughs> it's I kind of I uh, did it in high school, I did it in college, and I got into graduate school, and then I signed with an agent, and then I started booking work, and it just one thing led to another. Acting for most people starts as recreation. You said you just did it in high school to spend more time with your friends. How does it go from a recreation to something you actually thought I can do this as a career? Well, yeah, I'd, I'd, <laughs> I've actually written about that. Um, I, you know, I, t- I teach professional preparation uh, in the third year of the MFA acting program at Columbia University, and um, it's it's a worthy subject because I I, I think that we've we've gotten to a place where we've made amateur a dirty word and I don't think that it should be. Um, the word amateur is actually, it's, it's derived from the, the middle French word amateur, which means lover. And I think it's completely uh, reasonable to decide that you don't want to have a relationship and you just want to be a lover. Uh, as long as you're honest about that with yourself and with the, with your lover. Um, so I, I think it's good to have amateurs, people who pursue it as a hobby. It's good for communities. It's good for theater itself. Uh, it's good for the soul. And I think that, you know, if you want to do it as a profession, you have to, you have to understand that you're moving from her being your mistress to her being your wife. And there is a very big conversation that you need to have with yourself about exactly what that means. Um, and, uh, for everybody, there's a, there's a, there's a come to Jesus moment. And, and for a long time for me, it was, it was sort of every morning, do I want to keep doing this? And, uh, the answer kept coming back. Yeah. And yes. And and now I'm finally in a place in my career where I sort of, uh, have realized plan A is kind of working and, uh, I'm not going to have to worry so much about plan B and it's a wonderful feeling. What were your initial expectations of yourself and of what your career would be when you first started to break in? Well, I, I, honestly, I didn't know. Um, 
Columbia, which is why I went to graduate school, is, a, is an all-classical um, program from the Greeks to Ibsen, basically. And so I really had no training in film and television. So when I came out, when I did my general meetings, I, I said, you know, I, I want to do theater and film and television. I want to get my feet wet in all three and figure out where I communicate best. And so far, I'm still doing that. <laughs> you know, it's still a learning process for all of them. What were the early obstacles you encountered when you were first breaking in from Columbia? Did you move right to L.A.? Oh, God, no. Um, stayed in New York? I stayed in New York for... I think I was in New York for about another five years after graduate school. And then I was in L.A. for about five years, and now I'm back in New York. Uh, I've been back in New York for about five. So I've been doing it professionally about 15. Uh, I was probably in L.A. You know, when I when I first moved to L.A., it was for a job, and I honestly needed a break from New York. Um, and I stayed for five years, and I probably stayed about three years too long. Um, and that's just for me. Uh, the, the, the obstacles that faced me, I would say had a lot more to do with maturity than anything else. Um, it's very, 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 very hard to ask young actors to have the faith that they don't need to worry about all the bullshit attached to this business. And they need to simply focus on being the cream and rising to the top for however long it takes to do that. Um, it's, it's really hard to ask people to understand that when it is so competitive, when they're surrounded by media that's telling them everybody's getting work but them, or everybody's better looking than them, or everybody has a publicist but them. And you compound that with a, with a very capitalist society. Um, it takes a while to really learn through experience that if you focus on the joy of the work that a lot of the other accoutrement will be taken care of. Um, so I would say that in general, just, just, just getting to where you can realize that it's a, it's a marathon and not a, not a sprint. Um, and coming to terms with the fact that the, part of the beauty of this profession is that the course of your career, or the core, I should say the course of your life as a human being is the course of your career. And there's something really wonderful about that. Uh, but it took me a while to learn it. You've been a working actor in both New York and Los Angeles, and I've asked a lot of the actors who have come on the podcast about that. Tell me about the differences that you've experienced between being an actor in New York and being an actor in L.A. Look, you know, you, you, the, the, the biggest, I guess I would say that my biggest complaint about, complaint about L.A. is the number of people that live in L.A. who complain about it. Uh, I love L.A. I think it's a great town. I just don't want to live there uh, because for the same reasons, I don't want to live in an office. Uh, it's a great office. It's a very well air conditioned office and well designed office, but it's an office. You know, there, the only thing that exists in that town is the entertainment industry. Uh, even if you talk to a gardener, he will tell you the other famous people who's he's, he's doing gardening for. <laughs> it's just absolutely, uh, a one business town. And because it is such a cool business, people are addicted to it. And I got tired of um, 
sitting down to a meal and 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 mentally budgeting the first half hour to listen to my friends all my friends deals uh, <laughs> I needed to you know what I'm saying and I, I needed to get back to a place that had more influence and more going on than just theater or film and uh, I also needed you know it's very hard to find inspiration in Los Angeles and in New York, it's the only city I know of that you can walk out your front door and every single day see world-class art if you want to. Um, and, and there was a teaching position waiting for me as well, which doesn't pay the bills, but it, it's good for my soul. Um, and then you add to that the fact that, that I, I didn't really have a lot of friends in LA. <laughs> All my friends were still in New York. Um, all of that sort of presented itself to me when I, I, I finally uh, decided to do a play in Los Angeles. And um, all of the friends and colleagues who came to see the play, and it was a good, I can honestly say it was a really good production of Glengarry Glen Ross. And every friend and colleague who came to see it afterwards for drinks, at some point they all said, Anson, it's just a matter of time. And I said, a matter of time what? It's only a matter of time you'll have to be doing this. You, you'll, you, something will happen. And I'm like, I, I just did a play that I'm really proud of. Can we talk about that? And then I, that's what made me realize there's no artistic community in Los Angeles. Uh, there is a business community in Los Angeles. And, you know, there's this idea that if you do this, you do have to become a businessman to an extent, but I'm an artist first, I guess. And that was the big, that was the big, I guess that's the, the, the primary difference for me. Anton, let's talk about Hell on Wheels. Tell me about the show and how this part came to be for you. Um, well, uh, I auditioned. Um, and I got very lucky that, 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 that the network and the creators were in agreement that they wanted America, an American to play the role and not an Australian. And, you know, <laughs> we keep losing roles to, to Australian men because we have very few men over here. And um, they particularly wanted a Southern American, and that helped me. Um, but I was in the middle of doing a play in New York and I had to fly out on, um, you know, I had to get picked up, I had to get picked up at 3.30 AM, two Mondays in a row after five show weekends to audition and then get flown back on a red eye to get ready for a Tuesday night performance. It was a grueling, it was grueling both physically and emotionally because I was, I had to give two weeks notice to this theater company that had put their faith in me. And the director of the of the show was um, a wonderful actor named Terry Kinney, who um, I explained the situation to him and I said, "Look, if you tell me not to get on that plane, I won't get on that plane." And he said, "Anson, you have to get on the plane." And um, he did me a great service because it's it's changed my career and it's changed my life. How do you feel like your character has changed since the producers first told you about the show? Well, uh, I, I'd like to say, I'd, I would hope to think that the character has has matured, but not through difficulty. I'm particularly working on the maturation process this season. Uh, the past two seasons has been about really painting the portrait, for, from my point of view, painting the portrait of somebody dealing with addiction. Except it's, a, it's rather than an addiction to a drug, it's an addiction to violence. And um, and watching him go down the rabbit hole and take an entire enterprise down with him, and now that 
he's hit rock bottom. There's nowhere else to go but climb back out. So that's determined a certain amount of, of, of maturity this season that I've been working on. So much can change from when you read a pilot episode, especially if you're auditioning and from the pilot into the network tests and everything else. Do you feel like the show that's on the air now and the show that you're filming is close to the show that you signed up for? Yeah, I do. You know, we're, we, we have the benefit of having a, a, a historical event to base this around. But with that said, there are a variety of ways to go about it, and you really don't know what you're going to be making until you're in the process of making it. And one of the great things that television has provided me is the opportunity to see the writing process happen. Because when you do a play, you're often you're working on a complete work that's been developed over a period of years that you were not around for. And uh, television, you're often you're figuring it out as you go, and it's been a it's been a great lesson to me as a writer. Tell me about the turnaround time. How long does it take to film each episode? About eight business days. Eight days? and Just, to, just for the filming. How ahead are the writers? Do they block out the season ahead of time and work from yeah. there? Yeah. They usually start with about two or three scripts ready to go. Um, the, the, writers, the writers are staffed about three months out. We have about three, two or three scripts ready to go, and then throughout the season we catch up to the writers' room. So... We're uh, we're in the middle of shooting episode eight out of ten, and um, we have a first draft of nine, and ten is currently being scripted. With they have an outline, but it's currently being scripted. Who do you learn from on set? God, everybody. <laughs> I was just learning stuff about guns from my armor, Brian Brian Kent today. Um, I learn a lot from Common uh, about being a good person. And I learn a lot from Cole Meany just by hearing his, his stories of, of his days working in the theater. Um, and uh, and I, I learned something new with each director. Um, I'm, I'm really blessed to have a lot of really smart people around me. Hell on Wheels has an ensemble cast, but you're really the star of the show. Do you feel at times the weight of the show is on your shoulders? Oh, hell no. I, I, I wouldn't be able to do my job if I put that kind of pressure on myself. And it really, the weight of the shoulder is not on my shoulders. I would say it's, it's more on the shoulder of the writers. Um, I, uh, I, I think of acting as a process of play. That's why it's called a play. And I think that we've lost sight of that, particularly in America. Uh, we, have, we have a tendency to think of acting as this sort of shamanistic process of channeling these alter egos and that it, it can be this soul crushing experience from which we may never return. And if it's just a bunch <laughs> of bullshit and it, it, it's, it's bad for acting and it's bad, it's bad particularly for students of acting who are told to look at people like Meryl Streep as, as if they're magicians, they're not, they're wonderful craftsmen and they are people, you look at Meryl Streep and she is having a blast she is at play, and that's what makes her work so wonderful. So I try to, I try to um, routinely imagine putting a clown nose on myself, <laughs> you know, before I start working with anything that I'm doing. Uh, because otherwise, there's no point. I'd rather be a plumber. You are listening to Anson Mount. You can give him a follow on Twitter, at Anson Mount. Anson, let's mix it up a little bit. Tell me about your worst audition experience. <laughs> my worst audition experience. Um, I've been pretty lucky. 
I, I haven't had too many. Uh, the one that pops to mind is, is uh, when I was living in L.A. At one point, I was living in L.A., and man, I really needed a job. I really needed, I really needed the money, and I was. Uh, I won't I won't say what show because it'll identify the casting office, but it was a pretty hot show, and uh, I was asked to come in for a recurring role, a juicy recurring role, and I went in. I just absolutely I just nailed it. I just nailed it, and the casting office thought I nailed it, and uh, I got home and got a call from my agent and said they said um, um, the casting assistant made a mistake when she pushed the. Rec- cord button that camera was already on so she actually pushed it off mm. and it didn't take your audition so can you go back in tomorrow so it took a big sigh and i said okay i'll go back in tomorrow so i drove all the way across town the next day did the whole thing again nailed it got back home got a call from my agent um yeah they forgot to put a disc in the camera <laughs> um, you go back again tomorrow so I took a big sigh and i said sure Went in the next day, smiles, no problem, no problem. Did it again, nailed it, did not get the button. Mm, that's tough. Yeah, that was that was one of those times you think, hmm, yeah, maybe I should be doing something else. But no, you know, I, I stuck it out. You mentioned that you teach acting preparation and audition preparation at Columbia. Do you feel like teaching has changed your own approach? Yeah, it's made me a more responsible actor. Because, um, you know, when you tell your students you have to be doing this, you have to be working at this level, then it kind of puts you on the spot. And uh, if your students are going to see you doing something and you are less than prepared or less than doing great work, it's a disservice to them. Do actors who are studying acting now, a younger generation of actors, view things entirely differently? Wow, that's a great question. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, I think that, well, it depends on where they've studied and if they've studied. I think that there's, um, there's a gross tendency to underplay from actors I see coming out of schools in Los Angeles. And I think there's a a gross tendency to overplay with actors I see coming out of schools in New York. Um, that speaks to the the mediums that they're playing to, New York or, or theater yeah, actors and TV or but, TV and film. But in, but 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 the mistakes often are the same, uh, in the sense that uh, I find my my the biggest job I have, I think, is to teach my my students how to to deal with a paradox. One side of the paradox is they need to learn to give a little bit less of a shit. Um, because they're going into such a competitive field and they want to be brilliant. They're trying to nail every moment to the extent that they're, they're so wooden, they're so stiff and they're, 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 there's just, there's, there's a wonkiness to their presence that, that, that doesn't fit. And on the other side of this, how do you teach somebody to give a little bit less of a shit and, also know know how to be prepared and and be prepared on a competitive level and that's a really that's a really tough thing to get students to understand you recently wrote and directed a short film called last time we checked tell me about that project 
Yeah, that was uh, an adaptation of a, a one-act play that I wrote that won a, a couple of awards here and there. And I just, I, it came time, I had a little bit of off time, and I thought, well, I'm either going to take a vacation and go somewhere I haven't seen, or I'm going to do an artistic project. And I didn't particularly feel like traveling, so I said, all right, let's, let's make this thing. And uh, I got two wonderful New York actors, Andrew Polk and Reg Rogers, to be in it. And um, we shot it in two days in one room, and it's um, it's uh, the setup is it's a it's a it's a Department of Immigration hearing uh, to determine the validity of a of a, a gay man's uh, marriage to a Canadian drag queen, and uh, it begins at the moment that he's being rejected, and uh, and it's about uh, 14 minutes of a of a complete nervous breakdown do you feel like in the short you were able to tell a beginning middle and end with the whole story i hope so i hope so that's not for me to determine though stuff i feel like shorts have become what indie films were in the 90s that Mm -hmm. shorts have almost become a launching point to for directors a lot of people start making shorts then they segue into features i feel like film has just become so expensive that people make shorts now is writing and directing something you want to do is that a long-term goal definitely not definitely not directing i i only directed this one because i had a it has a very particular sense of humor to it that i i felt like i was the only person to do it um writing yeah i mean i write plays and um it's something i want to do more of but um i don't think i want to direct and I'm not. I, I definitely don't. I don't. I don't think I want to write television. That's a. That's a whole different ball game. Uh, I do think that I want to begin to be involved a little bit more as a producer in the things that I do. Your earliest credit on IMDb dates back to 1999. You've been acting professionally for a while. Tell me how you've seen the industry change. Uh, wow. Well, there are definitely a lot more work opportunities uh, that have come around. Um, the 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 biggest change i think i've seen is the gravitation of talent from film to television um and i think that we have i think we have the film industry's payment structure to thank for that um you know there's really only about five big movie stars that are making real money in film and the same goes for directors and editors and cinematographers. And so everybody else is looking at where the pay is coming from. And it's, it's television. Um, I'm also fascinated by the fact that, that, that the division between television and internet is, is about to go away. Uh, this whole term web content is about to become just content. And we're about to see a, a, a time very soon in which we will be buying our entertainment a la carte, like we'll be buying household items. And I think it's going to be a a really exciting equalizer for the, the independent television maker. Uh, I I recently attended a, a really fascinating festival called ATX. It's the Austin television festival. And these ladies are doing something very, very, very smart. Um, it's not a big attendance right now, but what they're doing is they're positioning, they're positioning themselves to become the Sundance of new television. Um, 
because what's missing from it right now, obviously, is you don't have the auteur filmmaker with the, the, the film reel under his arm who's being cheered on. You have networks, essentially. But very soon, you are going to have the, the YouTube startup guy who made the phenomenal series on a nickel and uh, is looking to be discovered. And I, I just think it's an exciting time for, for, for television, especially. Yeah, and that's interesting. The industry should be going that way. The technology is already there, but it's not it's not available to us yet because studios keep fighting it. Studios want to tell you what to watch, when to watch it at a specific time on a specific channel, and that format will eventually go away, but it's not well, they going know, away. They know it's going away. Yeah. They know it's going away. Look at look at the look at the uh basic the 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 sort of tastemaker, if you will, basic cable companies like my own, AMC as well as FX, you're, going to, you're seeing an upsurgence of, of cheaply made, often reality-based uh, content because it is the fastest, cheapest way to make content that they wholly own. AMC doesn't own my show. E1 owns my show. So after it gets done airing its cycles and, and AMC is making money off of the um, – the advertisers, that's it. So they're having to figure out a way to own content that they will be selling a la carte. And everybody knows it's coming. And I think that, that products like House of Cards have shocked people into stepping up their game. As it is being a working actor, what you expected it to be? Uh, <laughs> um, I find myself um, a lot of times looking back on earlier conversations or interactions with um, more successful actors and going, oh, that's what they were talking about. I'm surprised at the level of um, n- the level of commitment that this takes on, on every level um, there, you, you have to learn to become somebody who is content with a lot of people needing a lot of things from you a lot of the time. Uh, I did not anticipate the degree to which it would be quite this busy and I would be feeling quite this scattered so there are sections of time where I've made it clear to my my studio and my network and my representatives, I need somebody at all times to point to where they need me to go and tell me what to do. Um, because on top of the, on top of an, an, a very busy work schedule, uh, there are a lot of, a lot of PR commitments like this. Um, I'm also trying to figure out, you know, at times how to get home. Um, I have, you know, I have relatives just like everybody else. I also just started a web-based, uh, web-based content company. Um, there's a lot of stuff going on, right? And then not to mention, you know, reading scripts for the next job and having discussions about that. Um, it's a very, very, very busy time. I thought I would be having more time to enjoy this place in my career. <laughs> and at times I do, but it takes an incredible amount of focus and um, self-discipline to, uh, to remain here. And that, that has surprised me. 
You've been listening to Anson Mount. Anson is an actor who's currently starring in the AMC series Hell on Wheels. You can catch the season three premiere of Hell on Wheels Saturday, August 10th at 9 p.m. Anson, thanks so much for taking the time to join the podcast today. Absolutely.